Hi, and welcome back to the Anti-Diet Club podcast. This is a show for folks who are looking to heal their relationship with food and their body. I'm Gillian McCollum, one of your hosts. And I'm Tamsin Broster. We are both anti-diet coaches and we're both on a mission to disrupt diet culture. You can expect from this podcast fortnightly episodes around topics such as body acceptance, intuitive eating and dismantling anti-fat bias. We both share our own stories with you and insights to help you discover a life outside of dieting. And we also invite some amazing guests on um, to help you heal your relationship with food and body. And if you're on Instagram, you can follow us at the Anti-Diet Club podcast and you can find details of how to work with both of us in the show notes of every episode. So this week we are (laughs) talking about when intuitive eating isn't the solution. Yeah, when it doesn't work. Does that feel controversial? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) maybe to some, but... (laughs) yeah considering we're like huge advocates of intuitive eating it's done wonders for our own relationship with food right these are the tools that we use when we're working with clients but um I think well I am going to ask you this question actually because I very soon it's going to be my like four-year work anniversary when I set up my coaching practice and I was thinking about this the other day when I first set up I truly believe that intuitive eating was the the whole the whole shebang the whole picture right intuitive eating was where it began and where it ended and that was all we needed um and my thinking has changed a lot on that over the years um I've realized how much privilege is caught up in that and I've also realized how intuitive eating can be like morphed into something that isn't massively helpful and also how much it doesn't capture other stuff that we need to be doing to to heal our our, um, relationship with food so we're going to dive into all of this right yeah definitely and this is not an episode where we're saying you know intuitive eating is is no good not at all that we have like you said we are huge advocates of it um and it's helped us on our own journey but I think it's really important for people to understand um the kind of little bits around it why why it might not be feeling right for you might why it might not be a good starting place um where it kind of gets a bit muddly and where it feels difficult and you know how it kind of can get a little bit intertwined with diet culture and that's why we wanted to bring this episode to help people kind of if it feels like it's not clicking this might be some other reasons why yeah definitely all right well uh, let's kick off I seem to be working with a lot of folks right now who have actually been on the intuitive eating body acceptance journey for quite a while on their own. So kind of like a DIY approach, right? Um, For maybe a year, two years, sometimes up to four or five years. Um, And there's something just not landing. And I feel a lot of the time that people jump um, straight from you know, the, the latest diet or deep in diet culture into like intuitive eating. This is like, this is it. This is where it's at. This is what I'm going to do. And it, and it becomes almost like another diet, right? There's like a huge fixation on it. I know I did. I, my entire social media changed over to like, I just wanted to follow everybody and read every book and learn everything. And basically I was just like replacing my hardcore dieting habits with anti-diet. And I do, and I see that a lot of my clients, but it's hard not to get excited about something that we feel is like 
you know, this is new, this feels really refreshing. Um, but we can, we can sort of, it can still be modeled like a diet in, in many ways. Um, and I feel like when I'm working with clients in the beginning, that they haven't gone through what I would now describe and didn't have an understanding of years ago as a diet recovery phase before entering into intuitive eating. Um, and I want to mention too, I don't think that there is a person that I've met yet that doesn't come into intuitive eating thinking, I'm going to heal my relationship with food. And I think this might just be what gets me to my set point weight, which is always going to be smaller than what I am right now. Yeah, that was am me. I right. Yeah, I agree, I think. And there's no shame in that at all, because um, we live in a society that values values weight loss, values thinness. Um, and I, it's okay to still want that. It's okay to kind of come into this thinking that. And that's where it kind of, when I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, but it really like nosedived for me because I really felt that. I really thought, well, if I just eat what my body naturally would eat, I'm well, I'm not going to eat the things that I think are bad. I'm not going to eat those things because I'm just not going to want them. My, there's no way my body's going to ask me for chocolate or and all the things that I had banned or crisps or whatever. You know, all the things that I thought were, were quote unquote bad for me. There's no way. It's just going to want fruits and vegetables and everything's going to be natural. I'm going to cook from scratch every day. I am never going to want to eat out again. I'm just going to eat this way and it's going to drop off. This is the answer. This is the thing I should have been doing all along. It's my and natural route to thinness. It's my natural route to thinness. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> and I, I think it can really be, and it's, it's hard because it, it, this is where it can stop for people and they get a bit frustrated and then they get, it's tempting to go. And I did this. I got really kind of desperate. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. It's, that's not happened. When that doesn't happen, because it doesn't happen, um, I started getting a little bit kind of well I maybe I should just not have this and and then it became like you said it turns into another diet I was like am I really full am I really hungry I was overanalyzing everything I was mm -hmm. stood in the fridge is this really what I want is this mm -hmm. really what my body is asking for and then I would close the fridge again and then and I was getting to the point where I was like absolutely ravenous of which you know is not a great place to be because then you start just you're just getting in everything you can yeah and then it it felt like I just wasn't getting it I thought again I turned it on myself this is my I, I am failing at intuitive eating I can't even get eating without dieting right yeah and what I'm hearing from you there is you turned it into the, the hunger fullness diet right which we see yeah. a lot like so many people think intuitive eating is just about eating when you're hungry stopping when you're full um and it's and it's not because if it were just that, then it would be a diet. It would be hung the hunger fullness diet. And you're right. I think we are led to like dieting is positioned so much like a science, right? Like there's a right way and a wrong way, a correct way and an incorrect way. And with intuitive eating, like we come into it with that mindset of like, there's a correct way to do it. And as you say, like I'm failing at it. I can't even like eat normally kind of thing because mm. we still have it positioned as well, I'm not allowed to eat until I'm I'm X hungry, you know, or stopping at the perfect mouthful of fullness. And it's it's like 
so long as we position it as that, we are going to feel like we're failing at it because there is no perfect point on the hunger scale to eat. There is no perfect point on the fullness scale to stop, right? It's 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 all just sort of um, best guess, trusting ourselves that even if we get it quote unquote wrong, which by the way, there is no wrong, then our body is like, our, our body doesn't need us to micromanage it. Our yeah. body doesn't need our brain to micromanage it. Our body like will compensate, it will self-regulate, it will do what it needs to do to, um, you know, have us live. <laughs> yeah. Like you're saying there about, you know, our bodies will self-regulate. It's our body doesn't want us to be micromanaging it, but it's society that wants us to be micromanaging it. It's society things can't be trusted. Yeah. Um, it's it's all of those external things. And though, like you say, those those diet culture thoughts, like they're still there. I know that the first principle of intuitive eating is ditching diet culture. Well, ditch the diet mentality, like getting rid of those thoughts, but that's hard to do without really unpacking a lot of other stuff. And yeah. I think that's where it kind of doesn't um, always click. It's it's not as easy as just the, like ditching diet mentality isn't about no no longer believing that diets work. That's mm-hmm. just the first place you get to when you realize, oh, hang on, I've been doing this for decades and this isn't yeah. working. This is not helping my health, my mental health, my physical. It's not doing anything. Yeah. Um, that's the first place, but that's not enough. Like there's a, there's so much more. It's so much deeper than that. Um but just to touch back on what you were saying about like the hunger and fullness diet, I also turned it into the don't eat emotionally diet. Oh yeah. Morality diet. I know that, you know, I had it, I read it all and I got through it all and I was like, right, okay, there are no good and bad foods, but I hadn't really got rid of that feeling that there was good and bad foods. Mm-hmm. I still had all the numbers swimming around in my head. Mm-hmm. I still had all the judgments about what they would do and what, how those foods would make me look or, or not. I yeah. was still rewarding myself like quietly in my mind if I chose a salad instead of something else yeah that you yeah. know the morality or giving yourself there. permission to eat xyz if you'd worked out that yeah. day or yeah. yeah so I think what you're speaking to there is two things right one um how diving into intuitive eating without really doing kind of like diet recovery work right and we'll talk we'll talk about that but the other thing that I'm hearing you say is like ditching diet mentality is still putting the onus on you me as an individual the person who is in recovery of like this is a problem that you've got and you need to shed your diet mentality whereas actually what I think you're speaking to is like well why did we flip and have it in the first place it's an in we've internalized diet culture and diet culture as much as I use that phrase all the time and I like it because I think it really speaks to where we are in our society I also think it's a kind of polite dressed up way of saying like fat phobia anti-fatness these are systems of oppression that then suddenly takes this whole thing into the social justice sphere that I think people don't want it to get political right and Mm -hmm. don't want to enter those conversations but it is political food is political bodies are political this this is these are political issues so um you know I'm I'm I, I do use the phrase diet culture and I do use the phrase um diet mentality but I think I think it can be a little bit like pussyfooting around bigger systemic issues that um a lot of people are afraid to talk about 
because they, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not but comfortable it, and it's also not um, familiar. And we, we, we do feel that comfort in the familiar discussions, don't we, about what's healthy, what's not healthy, like, you know, looking after our health or we're comfortable having those conversations. We're not comfortable when we start talking about, um, you know, systemic racism. We're not comfortable when we're talking about, you know, oppression of people's bodies and like people not being able to access certain foods. You start, that's when it starts to get uncomfortable with people. They just don't want to go there. And it yeah. might not be that they don't um, believe that's the case. It's just, they, they fear getting it wrong. They fear saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has the problem and it, it just stops us kind of moving forward and saying, well, actually, this is what it's all about really underneath it all. And also really convenient for those systems of oppression, right? The people who are um, making decisions, the people who are in power, the people who are upholding these systems, because the more we think it's an individual problem, right? The more we're like, oh, it's me. I just can't like stick to my diet and I have a problem with food and, you know, my God, mm. my body. Like, so long as we stay in the dark with these issues and, and feel like I see this with my clients, like there's so much shame, right? It's like so much self-blame. But mm. once we start to realize, and I think I probably say this in every client session, the more we can remind ourselves that this is a world problem, it is a worldview problem, it's a cultural problem, we are being made to feel this way. We are not born, you know, believing these things, it's conditioning. So at every point, the question is, if it's not my body that's the problem, what is the freaking problem, right? Yeah. And we can look outside of ourselves and say, oh yeah, I see, I see how the world works. It rewards thin people, um, it raises fat people, um, denied healthcare. Like we talk about it all on the podcast, yeah, we do, right? Yeah. But um, but I think also while we're while I'm up here high on my social justice soapbox, I'm gonna <laughs> also speak to the fact that intuitive eating is a privilege right it's a real yeah. privilege to be able to go on an intuitive eating journey because it does um require time which is a privilege that a lot of people don't have it requires education it requires access to a variety of foods um sometimes it requires the ability to to cook right so um there's a lot of privilege wrapped up in that being able to respond to hunger and fullness signals um in a sort of in a way requires a fairly flexible lifestyle right that not everybody has so um i think we don't speak to that enough yeah i don't i think you're right i think it does it doesn't capture the kind of essence of what you have to have in place like to you know support networks in place you know your family like like what is your, your working patterns all that kind of stuff they don't lend it doesn't lend itself to a lot of those things and I think yeah like you say it's um you know people still feel like they may be judged by what they choose to eat when actually the choice isn't always their own yeah. and I think it would stop people kind of delving into it because it's you know when we are sort of told that oh well you, you know have this and have that or you know you'll crave this you'll crave that well even if you do you might not be able to access it so it's yeah. kind of yeah it's kind of um it falls down there for me I think that's the that's the yeah. problem um, I wonder too if there's like a little bit of certainly in terms of like 
the food industrial complex, I think there's this tendency as well in certainly in like 21st century Western wellness culture to kind of whitewash what health and healthy foods and a variety of foods looks like. Like we, we, like you, you think of these, I think of foods like goji berries and chia seeds and things, things (laughs) that I was like hugely into. Right. And it's like, who decides, who decided one day that kale was going to be a superfood? Who decided one day that goji berries and chia seeds was going to be like what we all need to be paying a fucking fortune for and Mm. putting into our smoothies, right? It's this whitewashing and erasing a lot of like really important cultural foods for people um, like we're in the UK, right? So when you think of all the different ethnicities that that exist in the UK, um, like we're, we're not holding up on a pedestal certain cultural foods um in in the same way like how many times have you heard like oh you know stir fries are greasy and like curries are this and like Mm. different different kinds of of foods are demonized for being um quote-unquote unhealthy when actually like there's a real problem with that because that's just whitewashing um our kind of food industrial complex in the UK and I think you could say the same in the states as well yeah um just because we decide as white people what's good and bad food or what's healthy and what's unhealthy um there's a real problem with that so I think you know again this is this episode is not to like shit all over intuitive eating because we these are tools that we use but I think we have to be aware of like its limitations let's say and that, you know, again, that is the point in this podcast, isn't it? We're having conversations about the, 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 you know, exploring all areas. I feel like we're going into like all the different nooks and crannies that maybe people aren't led to when they are reading a book or whether they are looking something else up on the internet or following people on Instagram. It doesn't give you these real conversations about, well, hang on a minute, what about this? And that's, you know, it's the intention of it. Um, just to circle back to what you're saying there about, you know, superfoods and all that kind of stuff you know we have to think also about the impact on other countries providing those superfoods because that is something that isn't talked about at all Mm -hmm. and that really frustrates me because you know when we suddenly decide you know some wellness person suddenly decides that something is the superfood of everybody goes nuts for it because that's what happens Mm -hmm. and you've just got to put a celebrity into the front of that and it makes it even worse and then all of a sudden the pressure to produce those things on other countries who are not have not got you know that might be the the stable food for them and now they're having to ship it out and then all of a sudden they're not getting access to it because the price of it is so high yeah it's impacting their own access to foods and I mean nobody looks I don't feel like anybody looks at that ever um it really that really saddens me when people just go nuts for these things and don't actually see the impact particularly like in did like foods from indigenous areas right Mm. like in South America for instance I'm thinking like that's where a lot of our quote-unquote superfoods come from and and you're right like we just you know we can pay the price for it so like we can walk into our health food shop and pay like a 10 quid for a packet of whatever but yeah that traceability and like where does it come from and the impact that it's having on um the 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 um origin of the, these foods um and the communities around there it's yeah it's it's super interesting 
another I'm looking down my list of other things that I wanted to talk about here in this episode um, and we've touched on it already this idea of diet recovery and the difference between like what do we mean by diet recovery isn't isn't intuitive eating just diet recovery right well a lot of the time so I work with I I feel like I work with folks who are like maybe headed towards an eating disorder and people who have had an eating disorder but are clinically recovered but still have a strange relationship with food in their body right so at those kind of two like ends of the spectrum let's say and it's really really hard for folks to be able to tune into their own hunger and fullness signals. If you are somebody who are is active in their eating disorder, I think it's probably virtually impossible to tune into hunger and fullness signals. And therefore, without question, I think you would agree as well with this, that intuitive eating is absolutely not suitable for somebody who is in the thick of an eating disorder. It's kind of irresponsible to say, be led by your hunger. Well, if your hunger never comes up, does that mean you're just not going to eat? Yeah, exactly. It completely misses the mark for for me too. I agree. It completely misses the mark for those suffering and struggling with an eating disorder. And, you know, as we've talked about before, some people don't actually know they're struggling with an eating disorder because of the way um, disordered eating is so like normalized. They may not notice that they have, they may not see it as that, or they might be in a larger body and and not be believed and then not want to say, and not want to sort of even consider that they have an eating disorder because they, they feel that, you know, they still, they still see themselves as eating, you know, quote unquote too much when, you know, then actually um, there could be all sorts of different things going on. Um, But it really does miss that kind of, access to your own signals and knowing when you're hungry and know it you know you you can't you couldn't do that it doesn't work there's a certain time that you would need to be kind of going through recovery before that would even be an option if ever yeah I think there's there's a there's a a period of needing to rebuild trust with your body right if we don't if we have been gone through years sometimes decades of not not just not listening to but not responding to signals of hunger then what happens is our body like those signals become quiet right they get dampened down why would your body waste energy sending these signals if they're just never going to be responded to you know you just end up just like like in any relationship, it's like, well, if I'm not being listened to, I'm not going to pipe up, right? Um, so to try and encourage those signals to come back and, to, and, and they might change over time, right? And to recognize them and then trust yourself to respond to them. That can take a really, really long time. So, so, so then what happens if you're somebody who's decided, okay, dieting isn't for me anymore. I want to explore intuitive eating, but I don't freaking know like when I'm hungry. I don't know. And this idea of knowing when to stop as well, it's like, well, there's so many beliefs and biases need to be broken down before you can genuinely listen to your body around when to stop eating because ultimately your brain's going to take over and be like, that's enough. You've had enough. No, you're not getting seconds. Like you've yeah. already had dessert today. You're not having that, right? So that's tricky without doing all the um, the kind of uh, dismantling of biases. But one thing that that I, I know we both um, are, are big proponents of, and this is, really what I mean by diet recovery um, as opposed to intuitive eating is, and it might seem a bit um, 
contradictory to intuitive eating, right? But I'm a big proponent of mechanical eating. We've we've spoken about this, I, I think maybe on another episode. For those of you that don't know what I mean by mechanical eating, it's this, this concept of rebuilding trust with your body through consistently eating. So three meals a day um, and as many snacks in between as you like. Um, so that your body is getting consistently fed um, throughout the day with like proper hearty food so that you become full, actually physically full three times a day. And that's that's like I say that like it's an easy thing to do. That can be really, really hard for people who aren't used to get becoming full right physical the, the physical discomfort of fullness but also the emotional discomfort of fullness um and and also just feeling like god that's a lot of food you know like I have a problem with that that's a lot of food I feel like god like I'm gonna have to like go and buy and have a lot of food in my house I'm gonna have to like cook or prepare food many times over like that can be that in and of itself can be a massive shift for people who have never um sort of you know eaten so much and so regularly yeah and that, so, like you say that uncomfortable feeling of fullness if you're not used to it if you haven't done that for a long time you know most people coming out of the back of dieting will firmly tell me they eat too much mm-hmm. and be shocked when their bodies aren't eating less they're eating more yeah when they go through most, that kind of most diets um uphold a calorific intake of what is suitable for a toddler right Mm. sometimes not even so I think we I think we spoke about this when we last season when we spoke to Isabel Fox and Duke on the podcast talking about how when you look at magazines or you look at like what I eat in a day which don't even get me started on what what I eat in (laughs) a day um (laughs) then it we are led to believe that like like I remember thinking when I was a dieter like what how much does everybody else eat like comparatively am I a pig comparatively am I greedy comparatively do I eat and it like what where am I on this whole spectrum and actually it's it's interesting now when I'm like spending time with other people in loads of different size bodies and it's like no I actually don't eat much more than anybody else but when you look around it's like I think there are variations, but when I look at my friend group, right, and we're all in different body sizes, we we just spent a whole weekend together recently, like three days, two nights. We largely ate the same food, right? A little bit either way, but we largely ate the same food and we're all in different bodies. And it's like, yeah, that's like, that's body diversity yeah. right there, right? But I was under the impression that I must be eating like twice or three times the amount of food than everyone else in order to be in this body. Um, but it actually turns out like I was just completely normal. But my perception of what um, I should be eating is invented by by media, right? And And our bodies actually need a lot more than that. Yeah, and this idea that women are supposed to eat less. You know, that is constantly shoved down our throats, you know, with the the messaging about, you know, portion sizes and it's just, but you're right. You, you can look around the room at all of your friends and if you spend time together, you will see that people do tend to eat like very much the same, like give or take. It's not that much. Yeah. There's not much in it like at yeah. all. 
but we're led yeah. to believe that thin people are just doing some sort of magical thing that we in bigger bodies are not doing yeah. um, and that they're eating just the right amount and yeah. we are overeating somehow. I, I often give my clients this exercise, but it's, it's becoming harder and harder. It's to identify someone in their life who has an easy, relaxed relationship with food, has never really dieted, um, isn't you know particularly critical of their body. Um, it's becoming harder. But if you can find someone like that in your life, um, it really gives, I think it's a good way of, of seeing and w- witnessing in someone, what does it look like to just like, food's just food you just eat when you're hungry just stop like it's no big deal um those are great people to be around right but um also what you'll see is there's not that wrangling there's not that negotiation there's not that kind of like I'm gonna stay away from that and then 10 minutes later I'm gonna eat all of that you know like the it's Mm. it's the chaos that I think um is the thing that you can spot a mile off for people who have a, a strange relationship with food. It's that like, hold back, hold back, hold back. I'm going to have it. And now I'm going to have it all. Um, but if, if you can be around someone who, um, you know, just has always eaten just really um, in a relaxed, easy way, um, it's it's a good role model of, of what we're shooting for, which at the end of the day, intuitive eating is just normal eating. And that is going to look different for everyone. Um, But there's no special science to it. We're trying to get back to like how we were as babies, as kids, right? Some of us don't have those memories, unfortunately. But um, I think we can get really caught up in it being um, that there's a correct way to do it. And and you know what? I see I'm an, you know, I'm an intuitive eater, of course, like I've, been through this recovery journey I help other people but it ebbs and flows like sometimes I feel like I'm really in tune with what I'm you know in terms of responding to what my body needs and wants other times I don't like if there's stuff going on in my life where I'm like oh my god I haven't done a food shop and where forever I'm just like living off convenience foods right now because that's where my life is at I'm the same with movement it ebbs and flows um and one of the biggest, the most helpful things for me about recovery is not judging that, right? So I would say living off convenience foods and not moving my body for a season in my life, right? Which arguably in the last six months, I've had many of those. Um, but how can I just like be okay with that and not judge it and just have some compassion and just be like, yeah, this is, I'm doing my best right yeah it's like that, the world isn't going to fall apart I'm doing my yeah. best it will change once once I've got the the time and the energy to 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 do better but that's what it comes back around to uh, managing like your nervous system isn't it because that is like giving yourself the emotional support that you need through eating intuitively in a way that means that you don't have to stress yourself out or try to like be trying to make it look perfect or make it be what it was maybe, you know, a month ago or six months ago, whatever, when things maybe weren't so stressful or whatever it might be. And this is the key thing is when you're, when you're going through that journey, we quite often don't look at those things. Like what else is going on in my life when we just feel like we've fallen off another wagon and and that's just not, that's not it. Like it's still intuitive to be, you know, in that zone that you just described of, you know, not wanting to move your body too much and not wanting to be cooking and not wanting to be doing those things that is intuitive eating mm-hmm. people think that they've kind of 
maybe gone back to something you know in in like it feels a bit like falling off the wagon from dieting I yeah. think that's what it is it feels like that I, and even though you I hear not judge I've undone it. all the progress and it's yeah. like that's not a thing there's that's not, not a thing when it comes to you can't undo because you've progress, learned the progress really is supporting what your needs are at that time and also supporting what you have access to we are all feeling this squeeze in the UK and I know it's um, happening elsewhere as well now you know where we may not have been before and we are changing how we do things we are you know deciding to not do different things differently because we've got different bills to pay and things are higher and the cost of you know petrol and stuff like that is gone through the roof and that is affecting people and that will be affecting what we decide to eat it has to because that's what we do um and and that's okay that's still for me that still falls into intuitive category but I know that people really struggle with that like you say they feel like they're just back in this zone of eating things they didn't want to be choosing you know but that's where the food morality comes in I mean like I'm like not that I'm a millennial I'm on the cusp of being a millennial but um you must be a millennial are you a millennial I feel like you maybe are because you're a wee bit younger than me um I <laughs> not feel, that much younger than you well yeah I was born maybe, in 1980 I think that maybe just means you're a millennial um <laughs> I'm on the cusp but um millennials love their avocados right so mm-hmm. again getting back to like foods that have that have suddenly become very hyped up and very fashionable and very um of the moment and I think we're maybe coming to the end of that now but definitely you know during um the sort of 2010s avocados were, were where it was out but that's such a privilege to be able to afford that kind of food right so like again does that yeah. mean like if you're not if you do, like if you're if you walk into a supermarket and you're like oh I would love like my body really wants an avocado right like if you can't afford it it's still intuitive eating like yeah do something within your means right I had a client um previously um last end of last year who uh really really felt like they wanted to like things like avocado on toast and we we had to really dive into what's behind that and it was it was about what people are judging you for choosing and that it felt like it was like a grown-up thing to choose Mm. and a health thing to choose and And a classy thing to choose yeah and it was like the posh thing to choose whereas she what she really wanted to choose was things like pizza and beans on toast what she considered to be like um yeah beans on toast things like that she just she viewed as being like kids food like what a child would choose like a pizza and stuff like that um and I set her the task of you know go and just choose what you really want to choose don't choose the things that you think you should be choosing and see what happens just have that corrective experience that no one's going to freak out nothing's going to happen but what is going to happen is you're going to enjoy your food you are going to enjoy it because it's what you want if you order avocados on toast and you don't even like them you're not going to enjoy it so yeah and it's a privilege again to be able to do those things but um it's just really interesting how people view people who eat avocados yeah like they uh, have some sort of kind of like they're going to a higher place oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They avocados absolutely I mean I'm I freaking love an avocado and toast so like I am I am absolutely buying into the the, the whole um millennial upstaging of of uh, avocados but similarly on the other side of the coin right there are other foods that we were maybe um raised on right I was raised in a working class family I we you know didn't have a whole heap of money so 
the kind of foods I was raised on um, still kind of hold quite a, a, a really special place in my heart, right? Like one of my favorite foods is macaroni and cheese. And like, that's not like the classiest food, right? But oh, that brings so yeah. much comfort. It's just, I mean, come on, cheese, carbs, like what is there not to love? Um, that's just like a real comfort in food for me. Um, so it's, it, yeah, getting into food politics, I think is really, it, really interesting. But I want to circle back um, to something that you said there that was one of my kind of final points about where maybe intuitive eating isn't the whole picture. And you mentioned nervous system regulation. You mentioned like um, dealing with anxiety, right? And I think circling back to like what else other than just mechanical eating, what else is involved in this diet recovery phase as opposed to intuitive eating? And I think I think you've hit the nail on the head with that in terms of I think I think a lot of diet recovery is trying to um, break the cycle or intercept the cycle of, um, okay, I'm not going to diet. I'm just going to like listen to my body and pursue intuitive eating. And then what happens is um, you maybe gain some weight and get really, really triggered. Clothes don't fit. You're feeling like, well, God, sitting down on like that armchair with the sides on feels a little bit more snug than it used to. And that triggering, that that amping up of the nervous system, which is fear, right? It's the fear that we're led to believe that like bigger bodies are bad. You've done something wrong if you've gained weight. Um, and that's really, really triggering. And that that sort of um raised um levels of anxiety and jacked up nervous system, where does that lead us? It leads us mm. to jumping back into dieting, even when we know it doesn't work, even when we know it, it it hasn't served us for years, it's like the better the devil you know, right? Because it's like wanting to get some feeling of control back, even though we're, we're not in control when we're dieting. Yeah. We're absolutely not. We're giving control away um, to whoever has made up the diet plan for us. Um, so a big part of diet recovery, I think, is building the muscle of not jumping back into those patterns and sitting with the discomfort because it is right. And it is an absolute discomfort. And when we're not used to it, that that is so triggering and so just fearful and uncertain and feeling judged. We're judging ourselves. So um I know what we talk about a lot of the time is um, in our client sessions is processing those emotions, right? We do that with our clients, processing those emotions. Therapy is great for that as well. Like face it, deal with it rather sit than with es- it. Yeah. sit with it as opposed to escape it, which mm. is which is what we do when we jump back onto a diet. But that is a skill. That's something that you need to learn how to do, Right. Also, like I'm a yoga teacher, so it, so yoga, breath work, meditation, these are all ways that we can help regulate our nervous system. And um, those are great tools, again, for when we just get that kind of like, oh, my God, I can't fit into my clothes. And where's this going? And how much yeah. weight am I going to? And I just it, like we spiral and it, get, it goes into some pretty dark places. So that I don't think any of that is really covered in the intuitive eating framework right um but um body grief maybe is a little bit I'm just like 
looking down my list here of like all the things that I would say is involved in um inner critic and voice of compassion as well like we do a lot of work around that Mm. with clients I think pretty early on in diet recovery to really notice those diet thoughts um and how like what is our inner critic where does it come from why do we have it what is our voice of compassion how can we use that like these are all tools that I think are um that that get missed when you jump straight from dieting to trying to pursue intuitive eating and that's what we yeah. mean by diet recovery and when you and you know again it's a privilege to be able to work with somebody but when you're doing it alone it's so hard because I tried that myself and it's so difficult because processing all those things you only have yourself to kind of bounce that off you only have yourself to kind of go through that with and I've had so many clients that they do get they do get to that point where there's anger there's frustration there's Mm -hmm. sadness there's all those things that you talked about body grief that is such a for me and I always say I feel like I say that about every part of the recovery journey but that really is key for me because if you I think that helps you once you recognize body grief it helps you unlock like getting to the next stage of just sitting with it and allowing it to be and not jumping back into dieting I think as soon as we get that body grief hits, it can feel very, very strong and very, it really can push us back in to, you know, you, this kind of funny ground because you can't undo the fact, you know, diets don't work. That's the other problem. Oh, yeah. You're in, you're in purgatory because you're like, it's well, I, horrible. I, I can't go back because I know how shit that is. Yeah. But going forward also seems really, really hard. And here I am crying on my bedroom floor because I've just found a pair of jeans that I forgot I had and I can't fit into them or this dress that I bought for a wedding that was expensive and I can't fit into it anymore and I'm just sat here crying going well what 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 do I do now I'm just in purgatory right yeah um yeah and it was interesting when you said like when you're doing the DIY approach and you only have yourself which like both of us did for a while right before we Mm. sought help um and it's like FYI you are very biased <laughs> like this is the this is the the key yeah. with working with someone else like they see your biases and hold a mirror up to them but when you're only working with yourself yeah you don't, it's you don't so know true. how you don't know how biased you are you cannot challenge your fat phobia by yourself I think that's just something you just cannot do um you can't really unpick it and unearth it and, and it's uncomfortable that's we've we've talked about that before like how uncomfortable is this journey I mean it's not like it's not a sexy sell, is it? You know, like oh, come and just get really uncomfortable about all the things you believed, and and then let go. But, but the nice thing is that there really is peace on the other side of it. There oh, yeah. really is food peace, and there really is um, like you know being okay, accepting your body, and and really connecting with your body in a in a way you actually don't think is possible. I think if somebody had said to me like you'll be so okay with your body and you'll be so at peace with yourself and you'll so be so chill around food and, and your your body's in the in this size body I would never ever have believed them I didn't I would never have believed even the beginning of my journey that it was possible for me to be happy as I am now but not yeah. just happy but actually thriving and living and free right like I I don't love what I see every day in the mirror right I I absolutely don't but I can still care for my body I can still not do do harm right I can still feed myself I can still do kind things for myself and I can emotionally regulate and know that it's going to pass and then there's other days that I fucking love my body right like it doesn't stay stable it's no it is it is still up and down but um but it is it is freeing to not um like my favorite thing in the world is when clients come into session and they say I 
do I now don't think about my food and body all day long. I have all this other space in my brain mm. and I'm actually excited about other things now. And I know my body's not going to get in the way or like I've put on weight, but actually I've gone sh- like shopping for clothes and I've bought this stuff or I'm like going to this event and I feel great. And I think I look great. And I'm like, yes, because it's not flipping dependent on your weight or like I'm having more regular, better sex than I've ever had. Yes, because it's not about how thin you can be. It's about showing up in the present moment and realizing that you are good enough exactly how you are. Yeah. And for me too, like, I think when we start talking, I start talking to a client about food and quite often people come through the door to talk to me about food and body, but they come, they initially come because they feel like they're out of control and that's the bit they want to get under control. And it isn't long. It isn't long before they sort of, it's not about the food. And that's when I like come to life. I think that's why I've kind of um, steer more towards um, calling myself a body image coach, because it is about body image. It's not Mm -hmm. about it's not really about the food underneath or we wouldn't give two hoots about what we ate if we didn't think it was going to impact our body. And again, we, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. We've started off an episode talking about intuitive eating and we have constantly gone back to body image yeah. and how we feel about our body every single time because you cannot There's do one without so the other. There's so much of it. When, yeah. As I say, when I first started four years ago, I only worked on intuitive eating. I didn't do any body image stuff. And then it kind of shifted to about 50-50. And now I would say it's it's largely body image stuff, right? Yeah. If you can get to grips with that, the, the food stuff is, is largely going to take care of itself. There's still tools. Yeah. There's still strategies. The intuitive eating framework, the 10, 10 um, principles can be really helpful, right? But if that is all you are doing, I think it's don't beat yourself up if you hit a brick wall is what I'm saying, because there's not enough body image work in there. There's not enough diet recovery. There's a lot of privilege and and, um, sort of access, uh, sort of assumed access in that. So um, and it's easy to turn it into the diet, the uh, hunger and fullness diet when you're doing it alone and you don't have someone else to Mm. kind of go through this journey with. So if you're coming up against any of those things whilst trying to uh, pursue intuitive eating on your own, you're not failing at it, right? It's really, really difficult. And I think it's being positioned as the whole answer and it isn't, it's yeah. not the whole answer. It's tools that are helpful in the journey, but it's not the whole thing. So, um, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up. It's agreed. And easy. I think if you're feeling um, shame or resistance to it, because I quite often see this, like people kind of want to dive into it, but they're almost scared because they, they, I think on some level, they know it's going to unearth a lot of stuff. It's going to unearth a lot of beliefs. It's going to unearth a lot of experiences and things that have kind of built what they, you know, how they feel about their bodies. And it can be a safe place to sit, especially when everybody else is still sitting in it too. It can feel really like much safer to be there, but there is a lot of shame about, you know, because people think to themselves, well, and I thought this too, why can't I just figure this out? Not the Mm. food, but the Mm. body image stuff. Why can I not just figure this out? Well, all of it actually, it was food too, but why why is it not possible for me to do this by myself like why is what is the, my resistance here like why can't I just do it like it's obvious I've got all the books I'm following all the people I'm reading all the stuff you know I'm I'm not going to all the slimming clubs anymore why can't I just get it and there's so much shame in in wanting to kind of reach out for for more support it's just loads of shame around that 
Yeah, and, and, and it is a privilege to be able to work with someone, right? But it is the difference between what I call passively learning. You can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, but it's passively learning. If you're not in- actively engaged in a process with someone else, right, you are going to avoid the, the uncomfortable things. If you're just in it on your own, you're not going to do the uncomfortable yeah. work, right? You're just not. Nature, isn't it? You're, you're going to avoid it. But I love what you said about like being afraid to like start digging into all the stuff, right? Because it is uncomfortable. You learn things about yourself that you don't particularly like. But I have to say also, the process doesn't end once you once you like start practicing intuitive eating or start practicing body acceptance. I think it's kind of becomes a little for me a little bit addictive in the in that like so what else is there? Like where else can I go with this? What else can I learn about myself? It's personal growth that, like we say this, it's not about food and body. Like it doesn't even, even when we get begin this, when we think it's about food and body, it's not, right? And then we learn that it's not. And then we learn so much more about ourselves. And the journey goes on and on and on. And it's freaking exciting. Liber- body liberation or liberating ourselves as women, as human beings, it goes way beyond food and body. It You start like questioning your whole freaking life and it's really exciting. Yeah, it's fab. I think that's a really fabulous place to end this episode. <laughs> All right. It's been a blast. I will um, see you next time, Tamsin. And in the meantime, if yeah. anybody wants to leave us a review, please do that. Please rate us. It helps other people find our podcast. Come over to our Instagram handle at the Antidiet Club podcast and uh, jump in our DMs and come and say hi. We love to hear from you. We um, love when you come at us with different like episode suggestions. Um, and we've also had a few of you reach out wanting to be guests because we're talking to people this season, right, about their own body stories. So that's right. Um, please get in touch. We'd love so to hear exciting. From you. And also newsflash, we are going to be on TikTok. We have an account. So watch that space and you can find us on TikTok if you're on there. Um, it's the Anti-Diet Club podcast. It's all one word and there's nothing on there yet, but there will be. Maybe by the time you listen to this, there might be at least one post. <laughs> and Tamsin is in charge of it because she is clearly the millennial in this. That's just duo. a way of getting out of anything that's posted on there. Yes. <laughs> All right, folks, see you next time. Bye.